Wave pool technology is progressing at a rapid rate, and commercially surfable wave pools are opening around the world. Welcome to the Wave Pool Mag podcast. My name is Nick Robinson, and through my guests, we take a detailed look at this fascinating new game. Check us out on wavepoolmag.com. For your curiosity and stoke. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for joining us on the Wavepool Mag podcast yet again. In episode five today, we're interviewing Sean Young from Wave Garden. Now, Wave Garden, ah, oh, it's such a beautiful name. And I didn't even ask Sean how they came up with that because it's such a beautiful name. I can just imagine them all sitting around a, a boardroom and uh, saying, well, what should we call this thing? Should we call it like, you know, I don't know, Point Break or Natural Wave, whatever. And then someone says, Wave Garden, and everyone goes, Yes, WaveGarden. So by way of introduction, WaveGarden, if you hadn't heard of this company, is based in the Basque region of Spain. And they started quite a while back. We'll hear all about their history with Sean. And these guys are creators of game-changing artificial wave technology. As they say on their website, our engineers and innovators are leading the way in the development of world-class, commercially viable surf lagoons. Yes, they're definitely leading the way because they have Snowdonia up and running. They had Enland up and running. Um, they've got Bristol and Melbourne just about to launch. And the second in second place right now is American Wave Machines, who have got a very successful installation in Waco, Texas, and coming up launching a new one in New Jersey very, very shortly. So it's it's an interesting title race to see who can claim the title. And then right behind them are, well, I mean, I don't know, if where would you put Murphy's Waves? I mean, they've been generating wave parks for years, and then Surf, Surflex is coming up hot behind them. So it's a very interesting marketplace right now, and we are looking forward to hearing all about how Sean Young fits into the Wave Garden Company and how this all came about. <laughs> Good afternoon, Sean. Thanks so much for joining us on the Wavepool Mag podcast. Uh, good afternoon, Nick. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be here and uh, looking forward to chatting about everything to do with Wave Garden and surfing and, and surf parks. Yeah, Wave Garden must be an exciting company to work for because you essentially founded this space almost single-handedly. Uh, yeah, uh, it's been a fantastic couple of years and we're growing at a, at a rate that uh, is, is very exciting, very fast, um, but we're managing to control it all. And the amount of interest we have uh, at the moment is, is, is very, very exciting. And um, I'm sure we can talk a little bit about some of the projects that we have, but we, we are basically busy in almost every corner of the world at the moment. That's exciting. It sounds like you're a Silicon Valley company or something. <laughs> Not quite, but yeah. <laughs> But um, it sounds like you're from Ireland. Did you grow up um, around there? Yeah, that's right. Um, actually, I was I was born in the north of Ireland, but then when I was very young, three or four years old, we moved to the west of Ireland to a small town called Boyle, which is near Sligo, and uh, grew up there. And um, then ended up, you know, going to university in Galway on the west of Ireland. But then after that, um, moved out to the UK. Mm -hmm. Did you manage to get surfing over there on the West Coast? Because I think they've got some fairly large waves around there. Well, it's interesting. I actually didn't surf at all growing up. I was a, I suppose I was a windsurfer in the 80s. Do you remember there was a fad of windsurfing started to grow very fast in the sort of 80s? And I was a teenager and uh, 
I started windsurfing. We lived next to a, a very large lake where I grew up and we spent our summers in Northwest Ireland in Donegal, but it was all windsurfing. Uh, and in fact, you know, where I went on holiday every summer of my life, it was a sheltered bay in terms of waves, but it had good wind. So I spent a lot of my summers windsurfing and did a lot of scuba diving and snorkeling and kayaking, but never really surfing. So that came a lot later in my life. Okay, yeah, I was one of those people in the eighties as well. So <laughs> started <laughs> off on a old windsurfers. Yeah. But yes, um, so yeah. you said you went to university and then you moved into destination consulting. Who um, who are the top firms practicing that, and and what firms did you end up working for? Yeah, it was a bit of an interesting story. I I studied marine biology of all things in in Galway in the west of Ireland, which at the time and I think still is is considered you know one of the top places in in the world if you've an interest in that. But after four years of a, of a degree there, I I realized that there wasn't a lot of work in Ireland at the time, and the numbers of people that had the opportunity to go and research whales or go and work in the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, it was very small. So, you know, I was always interested in sports and leisure, and I was particularly interested in the sort of business side of sports and leisure. And so an opportunity came along to to uh, get involved in a master's degree in Loughborough University in the UK which was sort of well known for its leisure and sports, but they had this interesting master's degree that it was, it was primarily a business uh, master's, but all of the examples and the case studies were leisure related. And um, very soon getting involved in the master's, I realized, okay, this is what I'm interested in. Um, and what I really want to do is get involved in a variety of different types of, of leisure developments, not just one particular focus. And an opportunity came up quite early to sort of join as a graduate into this small little boutique uh, leisure consultancy company called LNR Consulting, uh, straight out of uh, finishing my master's in 1993. And that just gave me an opportunity to get involved in a whole range of types of leisure developments from sort of leisure, leisure parks to museums to water parks to tourism strategies for cities, um, cultural development plans for local authorities and so on. So it was, a, it was a great learning experience and something that I enjoyed very much and realized, okay, this is, this is something I could see my, my career in and uh, something that uh, you know, I felt that I can continue to learn and in particular just meet such a wide variety of interesting people with interesting projects and the leisure sector, the leisure sector is a very interesting one to work in. And you find an awful lot of very passionate people uh, working in the leisure sector. So yeah, that was a very enjoyable start to, to my career. Oh, absolutely. And when you're talking about different types of leisure attractions or le leisure activities, there, when did um, when did wave parks as a, as um, as opposed to water parks pop up? Yeah. Well, my first encounter, interesting, was probably 2011 so i was i was sitting in i was on a flight i think between somewhere an internal flight within spain i was traveling a lot because of my leisure consultancy i can't remember exactly why i was in spain at the time but i remember vividly across the aisle from where i was on the flight i this um this passenger was reading the local newspaper and he opened this page and I looked across and it seemed to be a photograph of somebody surfing in a lake, what looked like a lake. And uh, I thought, well, this is, 
what on earth is this? This is very interesting. And uh, as somebody that advised on different types of leisure development, I said, I really need to know about this if this is a new sector or a new product that I could potentially recommend to some of my, my clients at the time. So when he put the, the paper down, I, I asked him if he'd kindly you know, hand it over to me. And my Spanish wasn't that great, but I managed to to figure out that, uh, okay, this is a new company, they're based in the Basque country, they're called Wave Garden, and this is some prototype that they've just uh, launched. And uh, I immediately, literally within a week of seeing that article, I sent a, an email to sales at Wave Garden, and nothing happened. And I was like, wow, oh, okay, that's, that's, that's a shame. <laughs> and, uh, and then I, about a month later, I, I sent another email, and in this email I said, listen, guys, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I actually don't want anything from you either. Um, all it's, I'm somebody that works as an independent consultant. I travel around the world. I advise people on leisure development. And I just want to know a little bit more about your product and whether it's something that I could potentially recommend. And uh, thankfully, within an hour then, there was an email back from Fernando, who's the, one of the owners of the business, and he's in charge of the commercial side of the business. And he apologized profusely for um, not catching the first email. They were inundated with, uh, with emails to their sales email address, as you can imagine, after it was first launched. And uh, mine got lost in, the, in that sort of uh, total uh, high number of emails. And, uh, but he said, oh, okay, yeah, please come and see us. So within, uh, within a few weeks, I was on a flight and I went and visited their original sort of demo facility, which was the first lagoon facility with the black liner and i think gabriel medina had surfed it about a month before i got there and uh this was must have been yeah this was 2011 i think and, yeah and mick fanning uh, made it famous as well i think yeah. yes yeah exactly that's the one and uh i just thought oh this okay this is interesting and they were telling me that they were uh, almost uh, completing a sort of a larger version of that on site um, so I should come back and see that when it's uh, ready. But over the next couple of months, we started to get to know each other. And it was apparent that, you know, it was interesting in some ways and that I was going around uh, working on projects that had, you know, leisure-led real estate developments. And this was potentially an interesting product that could be added to some of the existing projects I was working on. And uh, so we... We start, I started to find out more about their business and it was clear that was very much, you know, engineering driven and focused, which was right. It was, they were very much in the R&D stage and uh, I volunteered to help them a little bit in terms of looking at, well, what could, you know, the potential business viability of such a development look like? And so I sort of created the first generic business plan for a wave garden facility and, and with that, uh, Fernando started to recommend me to their to his partners at the time to say, "Hey, if you need somebody to help you with the early development of your project, maybe you want to go and speak to this guy, uh, Sean Young." And that's how I then started to get involved and start working on projects directly for the developers of the Wave Garden projects and indeed other surf park projects. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about those first few projects that you that you got involved in, and who was involved, and have they come to fruition since? Yeah, it was it was, it was very interesting because I I had at the same time that I was finding out about Wave Garden, I had been invited by Martin Ainsco and Andy Ainsco, the the two uh, the father and son behind Search Nodonia, 
and I had been recommended to, to them to as a sort of someone who could help them on their plans and early ideas for a leisure development in north of Wales. And I went along and I met their team and I met their board and you know gave a presentation about the general leisure market and the real estate leisure market and what was happening in the UK and some of the latest technology. And they had a proposal to do a, a whitewater rafting uh, facility surrounded by some accommodation on this site in, in, in North Wales. And I, I gave them my view on that. I, I felt that that could be you know, extremely expensive, wouldn't necessarily have the capacity to get the right numbers of people through. It also wouldn't be entirely unique within the UK, given that there were a couple of facilities already uh, built and operational. And so I just said, well, here's a new product that I've literally seen in the last few months. Um, it's early days, but it's looking very exciting. And um, within a few weeks, they were on a plane out to out to Wave Garden. I, I came with them. We had a couple of days uh, with Fernando and his team. We saw the facility and they ended up being the first Wave Garden project that uh, that the team here signed and, and started construction on within you know within about a year and a half after that first meeting. So that was that was a good introduction to uh, to Wave Garden uh, for me. Did that present quite a few challenges? Because as um, I interviewed Andy Ainsco a couple of uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he ah. was saying that they had already had that piece of land, and then you had to try and fit a Wave Garden into it. Was that a massive issue? It, w it was a challenge. Um, interestingly, it was an old steel refinery uh, piece of land, and so there were some issues with regards to the ground uh, conditions and potential ca uh, contamination and so on that had to be looked at. Saying that, um, that land could only really be developed as a leisure uh, facility. You know, they weren't going to be able to get permits and, and, and permission to do residential or full commercial. So they were looking for a leisure solution. And the challenge then was, well, how best to try and fit this uh, wave garden lagoon onto that land. And I worked with them to do their first business plan and worked uh, with their team on the architects on the sort of initial design side of things and strongly recommended that we may need to add some accommodation elements to, to their uh, project because of the distance and how far they were from any major conurbations. I think they're about 90 minutes from Manchester and Liverpool. So, you know, it was like this business plan will be stronger if we can add some accommodation on site and encourage people to stay for a short break, for a weekend and enjoy the other leisure uh, offers that the, the Snowdonia Park has to offer and so on. So that's slowly built into the business plan. And, and interestingly, I don't know if you know, but they've just got permission and they're starting the development of a, a large hotel on site, which will be which will help, Hilton. I think, yeah, it'll help their, their ongoing viability and help keep the numbers up at the surf park for the, for the coming years. Absolutely. And, they, and they've rebranded from Surf Snowdonia to Adventure Park Snowdonia, right? I think that's in recognition that they are a base for people to come and do more than just surfing. And it's a beautiful area of, of, of the world. There's a lot of other activities you can do. They have, I think it's Europe's or the world's largest zip line. They have these um, trampolines in caves under the ground. There's gorging and canyoning and hiking and kayaking and whitewater rafting. And so there's lots of activities to do. And the idea that um, you could come and stay at Surf Nodonia, enjoy some surf, but also extend your stay and enjoy uh, some of the other activities um, within the park, I think is, is the reason behind that rebranding. 
Mm-hmm. Because this is clearly, um, I don't know how you term it, the, the, the lagoon and the cove are quite different products. And the, the Snowdonia is a lagoon, right? Is that, is that how you term it? Yes. Yeah. That's the, that's the sort of the, the, the formal term we're using. And I think there's a, there's a probably a, a, an interesting story to tell here around the whole background of that and how, how Wave Garden moved from sort of the lagoon to the cove. And so the company started back in as early as 2006, um, where Hosema, uh, who's the CEO from, lives here in the Basque country and his wife, Karen, they had originally been working for a number of years designing and delivering skate parks, but both of them passionate surfers and they wanted to see, is it possible to deliver the perfect surfing environment to sort of anyone anywhere in the world? Because uh, they felt that they were very lucky and that they had access to good ways, but there are you know, millions of people around the world that are either in landlocked locations or even in surfing locations where you know, for 80% of the year, the ways aren't that good. So that was something that um, they started to look at from as early as 2008, uh, 2006. And uh, and then Fernando, the brother, joined them in 2008. And they already started some testing on a circular, a circular pool to begin with. And they realized very quickly that the lagoon or the lake would have to be so big make the waves work that they were concerned about the overall viability of it and the amount of water might, you might need and how deep the water would have to be to make a circular type system work. Then they moved on to the the lagoon and I think you'll have seen some images of Philip, uh, one of the guys here on a tractor pulling the pulling yes. the spoil yeah, through, through <laughs> the water on a piece of farmland in, in the middle of nowhere here in, in the Basque country. That was the early the early sort of designs of this lagoon, which is basically a wave foil that is pulled through the water and pushes water out on either on either side of a central sort of pier. And that became then the first large scale prototype that was delivered um, on the site. And that's the product that um, most of the early partners came to see. So uh, obviously Andy and Martin came to see it for Surf Madonia. Nick at Bristol came to see that. We had Ross from Urban Surf came to see that. A number of partners were seeing that. And that was the project that they were sort of signing up to. And we went ahead and delivered uh, at Surf Nodonia and then delivered uh, sort of a larger scale offer at Inland. Um, but I think at that same time, we were the success of Surf Nodonia was, was excellent, but it was obvious that we needed to try and deliver more waves as possible. In, in Snowdonia, it was two, you know, it was two waves every 90 seconds. In inland, because it was larger, it was two waves every two minutes. And Hosema had been thinking about this and researching about this idea of what is now called the cove for a number of years and looking at other ways of making waves. And he was quite convinced that it would be possible to create a facility that could deliver as many as two waves every eight seconds. So from two waves to every two minutes from to two waves every eight seconds was just a, a game changer. And Quantum so, leap, massive. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And to be honest with you, I was I was with still working at Colliers International at the time, working in leisure real estate development, working you know on a number of surf park projects around the world directly for partners. And Fernando gave me an early heads up about this potential new uh, uh, research that they were doing. 
And I sort of more or less said, listen, Fernando, it sounds incredible, but I'll believe it when I see it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, um, and lo and behold, uh, I was invited out, I think it must have been mm, September 2016, something like that. Uh, they said, right, Sean, you have to come and see this. Uh, we've got the Cove demo facility built. Uh, it's working. We're really excited about it. We need to start to uh, talk to all of our partners now, all of the ones you're currently working with, and get them to look at this uh, because we think that this is really the future. And so I went out and I, I was literally, you know, I was blown away by it. I, I could not believe the quality of the waves and the numbers of waves that were coming through just over, over and over and over again. Were you thinking, how on earth am I going to break this news to Snowdonia? Well, <laughs> well, well, yeah. I mean, the interesting thing with Andy, and I have, you know, I've known Andy for a long time, and and um, really enjoyed working with him. And we worked for a sort of a two-year period to try and get the planning permission and to help him with some of the fundraising and the grants and so on. The interesting thing with that is that they were the pioneers, and they took an enormous risk, obviously pioneering this new uh, technology for the first time. But they're always going to be uh, the only lagoon of its type in the UK. And it has something special to offer. You know, the wave is quite fun. It's a, it's a long wave. And uh, it's, you know, they're very happy with their business and how it's, how it's going. Uh, so, you know, and they're developing around it and growing off the back of that. Um, I guess if you asked Andy, Andy was here actually. I saw him about a month ago. He was here on holiday with his family, so dropped in. Uh, to catch a few waves and catch up with everybody and um, you know he's he's happy with the way the business is going and delighted with the accommodation and hotel development so I think yes I think um, that will that business will continue it's in such a unique location and with the accommodation now I think it'll continue well but for our other partners who hadn't got past the stage, hadn't started the sort of detailed, uh, detailed level of design or construction, there was the opportunity. And indeed, uh, I don't know if you know this story, but Nick in Bristol, I first worked with Nick in 2012, 13, we did the first business plan for them. We were working on the lagoon. Then around about 2015, he had seen Surf Nodonia and uh, said, okay, this is fun, but what we want what we want is something that has more capacity. And he he formally changed to Surflock. I don't know if you remember that, but he yep. said, no, we're moving away from Waveguard and Lagoon. We're going to Surflock because Surflock is going to give us more waves per hour. And they started to work and try and develop something. I don't think a full a demo facility or a scalable demo facility was ever built to sort of have proof of concept for that. But while he was working with Surflock, Wavegarden behind the scenes was working with uh, developing the cove. So I remember vividly having seen the cove and visited the cove, and I was driving back uh, towards the airport. I phoned Nick and I said, Nick, I know you've just spent a year with Surflock and you know i'm your advisor and 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 i want to just give you you know my independent thoughts and views on this but you absolutely have to come and see the cove now because it it really has delivered on everything that we hoped it would and i think you need to give it a chance before you make any final decision so again nick came out and then very quickly that's what happened and, and nick was back in the 
in the Wave Garden family, and um, now it's history, and we're about to open literally in a few weeks' time with his project in Bristol. That's really exciting times. I think they must be going crazy over there in Bristol. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, there's there are several members of the team in, in Bristol now. Um, you know, the, the early signs are looking very, very good, and they're excited. They're working incredibly hard, as you could imagine, to try and uh, lead uh, to opening in, in November. But uh, yeah, the, the, the team are just great. We've really enjoyed working with them and uh, we expect them to be very successful and, and indeed to, to move from Bristol to a number of other projects. They have aspirations to do more than, than just one project. So how do you think the success of Bristol and Melbourne will impact on future Cove projects? Because obviously there must be a lot of investors sitting on the, on the fence saying, well, let's see how this thing pans out. And then once it's in operation, we can move. Yeah. And in fact, um, we have at the moment, we have uh, so Melbourne and, and Bristol opening this, uh, this year. Uh, next year, we have Korea, Switzerland, um, Sao Paulo, and possibly Edinburgh, but more likely the beginning of the following year. But they're all in the construction sort phase. Uh, and then we have another one that's sort of you know, in the, what we call the final, final construction drawings. That's our project in, in California. So that's likely to be early 21. Uh, and then we have 26 projects that are in the design, stroke permitting, fundraising phase. And these, these are projects that are not just, hey, you know, we've had some discussion with them and they might want to do a wave garden. These are projects that have made significant uh, financial uh, commitments to making the project happen we have a you know financial they're under contract with us um, and we're delivering a whole range of services to help them in the design process in the in the fundraising process the business planning the operational setup process and so on so all of those are you know waiting you can imagine all of those partners are just desperate and waiting to see uh, Bristol, waiting to see Melbourne, waiting to see Korea, um, uh, so that they can really um, push the button and make sure that their projects uh, happen. So we're expecting a significant uh, increase in interest once we release videos of Bristol and Melbourne, and um, and we're you know we're very excited about the potential and future. You mentioned Switzerland. Um, as far as we're aware here at Wavepool Mag, there are two projects in, in Switzerland, Wave Up and Alaya. Which one are you talking about, the Alaya one? Correct. Alaya one is, is much further ahead, so it's it's under construction. Or, uh, yeah, we're starting the, this construction process. And the our, our friends at Wave Up, we're in the that design. I was there actually with them. Earlier this summer, we went out, we looked at the site, we've already got a master plan finished. We just sent them the first draft of a, of a business plan. So we're working with those guys. They're, they're really excited and they wanted everything to happen as soon as possible. But there's a process to go through in terms of getting permitting that always takes time. Uh, so yeah, they, they will be our, our project, our second project in Switzerland. Oh, excellent. It's always a question that, that um that I, I, I wonder about a lot of the time, when do people actually go public with a project like this? Because there's so many different milestones involved in it. So when do developers generally decide to go public? 
Well, there are two strategies um, that are that are, we see being used. Uh, we have a preference. Our preference is not to go public at all until uh, until you are, you know, you more or less have your land in place and you feel quite confident that the project can happen. However, there are many partners, and we understand this, where they need to get public attention and public support in order to help them secure the land and get the local city behind the project. And so their, their approach is, well, let's, let's try and build some PR and build some uh, enthusiasm uh, behind this project from as early a stage as possible and then go. And then hopefully that will, when we're speaking to potential landowners, when we're speaking to the city, they will think that this is potentially a real project and that there's some sort of public pressure and support uh, to try and make it happen. Because to be honest, um, in, in my background and in sort of advising on all different types of leisure development, um, this is this is one of the few almost universally supported ideas that we get in terms of local cities absolutely love the idea of this type of a project and therefore try to be extremely helpful and positive when it comes to the permitting and the support process because they can see how unique this facility could be in their town, in their city, how it would deliver a number of community and social benefits, how it will deliver tourism incentive, how it could bring in some competition and events and, and so on. So all of the positives, it ticks a huge amount of boxes in terms of uh, the type of development that will get positive public uh, and political support. Um, but often the most difficult thing is finding the appropriate piece of land and finding a piece of land that is of the right size, in the right location, that is affordable, and will be able to get the permits. Once you find the right piece of land and you believe that you've got you know, preliminary support from the local city, the rest of it then happens quite quickly. Uh, and indeed the fundraising, which four or five years ago would have been quite difficult, is much easier once you have a piece of land, you have done your preliminary master plan, you have some initial business plan, and you have some uh, support from the city. And then the fundraising actually can come quite quickly after that. So yeah, it's, um, it's a very interesting process to go through. And in fact, I, I maybe didn't explain, but my role within Wave Garden is to help all of our partners through that initial design, feasibility, permitting, fundraising phase, because that, you know, that was fundamentally, uh, fundamentally my background for, for many years. And so it, we're now trying to reduce, it took Nick five years or six years to get his project. It took uh, Andy in, in Melbourne a long time. Now we're trying to bring all of the skills in-house within Wave Garden so that we're able to advise them, not just on the wave making uh, system and the water treatment system, but on the construction side, the civil works, the, um, the permitting, the fundraising, the master plan, the design, the architecture, every component of what goes into creating a good surf park experience, we want to be able to provide and support our partners through that process of, hey, I want to do one of this from day one to two or three years later, they're ready to, they're actually open. Uh, and that, that time period is getting less and less um, as, as we learn and as, as more of these pro uh, projects open and become real, uh, I think that process will get quicker. 
Sure. You must get a lot of um, a lot of people phoning you up and saying, hey, I want to build a wave pool. How do you separate the tire kickers from the serious people? Well, that is actually a challenging process. And therefore, what we've had to do uh, is we we get phone calls. We do as much as we can to help people and, and, and tell them about who we are and our product and the process and so on. But then we say, okay, we're now give us send us an email to sales at WaveGarden. We're then going to send return an email with a whole series of questions. So we have a standard, you know, almost proto pro forma email that we send, which asks a series of questions about who you are, um, what's your background, what's your experience, where where you may get some initial seed funding to make this project happen. Do you have a piece of land in mind already? What, if any, political support or discussions have you had, et cetera, et cetera. And then based on the, the responses to that, the next step is formally, okay, come and see us for a day. And to come and see us, we, we those people that are serious and appear to have the right profile, we invite them to come and see us. We charge a small fee, interestingly. That's another way of making sure that those people that are coming to see us are, 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 are serious. And then they spend a day with us. We take them through the whole process. We get them to see our demo facility. They can get to test and surf it themselves if, if they want to. And then very quickly, we explain to them, okay, these are the next steps. If you want to move forward with us, we need to get an agreement in place. and We need to get some financial commitment. Uh, and then we're ready and available to give you all of our resources and our help and the support that you need for now, for the next period of 18 months or whatever it takes to get you through that. So, you know, we're willing to, you know, spend time on phones and do and answer people and see people as much as we can. But ultimately, once people then have signed up with us and we know that they're committed to us, we can start sharing some of our information and supporting them and really helping them through that, that feasibility and design process. Excellent. Okay, so if we're looking at the future, um, how many dedicated wave pools do you think will be open by 2025? I mean, and including all other kinds of technologies like American wave machines and in the whole wave pool industry. Do you reckon wow. there's going to be what five, ten, fifteen, twenty? Oh, I yeah, I would put, I would hope would be close to twenty. Um, at the, you know, if we're delivering four or five a year, an American wave machine and others are out there then why not? Um, obviously, you know, these need to be commercially successful and viable. Um, I think with the, the, the numbers of ways and the capacity um, of our cove, um, that's the real thing that, that makes it work. Um, we can offer a range of different types of ways for people at the same time in the lagoon. So you've got, you know, advanced and experienced surfers catching the big waves in the reef. Then we have our uh, beginners and improvers in the bays all at the same time, which is quite unique. Um, so we can get, you know, 80, 90 people or more into our standard size sort of cove facilities at the same time, all of them getting at least, you know, 14, 15, 16 waves each in their session. And that's how, you know, we can make this uh, viable and ensure that everybody has a good time and there's enough waves for everyone. And you, I mean, obviously, with with surf sports opening with that kind of capacity, do you think the surfing population will increase, or do you think they'll just move over from the ocean, or how do you reckon that's going to play out because of the the pools injecting themselves into the surf industry? 
Um, interesting. I, I, I think, you know, the growth of surfing is, is you know, is likely to be supported more by, you know, cheaper air travel, social media promotion of surfing and the surf culture. Um, obviously, the Olympics is big news. WSL is now televising events and people have more access to it and so on. So I think that's, you know, probably has a greater impact on the growth of surfing um, than the sort of surf uh, lagoon sort of uh, industry. Saying that, I know that um, it's very easy to learn and progress uh, your surfing in, in a wave garden cove. And it's actually easier to do that than it is uh, in the ocean. You know, we have people that have come here and literally by the end of, you know, three hours, they're, they're standing up and catching nice, you know, relatively large waves from the back of the lagoon. And it's because you can, you know, teach them in, uh, in a safe environment, give them the same wave and repeat process over and over again and then scale up the wave and, and so on. Whereas in the ocean, obviously, you're dealing with the variety of currents and, and tides and wind and size of the waves and, and all of those things. So I think we will get many more beginners uh, who a small percentage of them will become regular surfers. Um, and we hope, we hope that many of those will go on to become regular surfers and enjoy surfing in the ocean because you know, this isn't competing with the ocean in any way. It's just another another way to learn to surf. And fundamentally, this will allow surfing to grow in landlocked locations. So, you know, we're bringing surfing to the center of Switzerland. Uh, and also, yeah. also hopefully it'll relieve some of the pressure on the oceans because I know down here in Portugal, um, the beaches are packed with, with people learning to surf. So if we could try and transport them in, inland to, to wave pools, it would create a lot a lot more space down in the ocean, which would help a lot. Potentially, yes. And I think uh, in particular for our, um, you know, days when the waves aren't that great, uh, people will wanting to come and surf uh, at the cove because you're guaranteed, you know, really nice waves and, and you won't be competing with other people for, for your wave. And maybe a number of beginners will choose to come and learn uh, at, at a surf park as opposed to learning at the beach because the beach can be, a little bit scary depending on the conditions for people for first-time people and we hear that here in particular you know we invite a lot of families to come uh, in fact we just had a few pros here recently and they had brought their wives or their partners with them and they said to us oh this is the first time my my partner's ever gone out and, and tried surfing because they felt safe to do that and so on. So we hope that there will be a growth in, in, in beginners and some of, that, some of that business may well move from the beaches to, to Wave Garden Coves. Um, but overall, there's so much demand now that there's, you know, I think it will be a, a relief from some of the beaches if, if some of the, those classes are taken and, and, and offered at a, a Wave Garden Cove rather than at, at the local beach. Sure, yeah. And apparently some, um, because the maximum size of a, of a wave in a cove right now is what 1.8 meters or two meters yeah is what yeah six, yeah 1.8 1.9 about six foot yes yeah have you ever had any requests for a, a solid eight foot wave or um because there are some other new technologies out there that are producing some claims that say they can potentially create 16 foot waves in pools so how seriously yeah. is wave garden researching new technologies yeah i mean we have researched this issue in a huge amount of detail. I mean, we have been around for a very long time, as you know, and 
to be honest with you, we've tried we've tried all of the ways. We know ex you know we know exactly how the other systems potentially work, and we know the pros and cons associated with those. And we are absolutely convinced that there is no more energy efficient way of making waves than the Cove system. Uh, and we know we know that because we've tested you know ourselves a lot of the other systems. And this question about increasing from six foot to eight foot demands double the power. It's not just at the moment we are incredibly energy efficient. We can make, you know, it's one kilowatt hour per wave. So in Spain at the moment, that's 10 cents for a kilowatt. So, uh, and, you know, we know that that's probably 30, 40, 50% less than some of the energy that's required for other types of waves and how you make them. And so, but we researched the, you know, because we have had questions about, yeah, can we get to eight feet, nine feet or whatever? And the, the difficulty then is, is one about environmental sustainability and energy requirements and depths of water and the amount of water you need, because you literally need to double the power to go up to get another uh, couple of foot on top of our wave. And we have made uh, a firm decision that, okay, unless someone comes in and really has a strong, um, rationale for why they need to do that and why they feel it's necessary and you know are willing to make the investment that's required to scale everything up and add you know a lot more water and a lot more power that will be needed to make it happen we actually don't believe it's necessary to have a absolutely first class visitor experience i mean we have had all of the top surfers in the world have come and just had an absolutely great time at us. We had, in fact, we had Tom Carroll recently and we were a little bit nervous beforehand because we thought, <laughs> oh, well, you know, this is someone that, you know, might like big waves and, and so on. And what will he think about this thing? And he had an absolute brilliant time. Uh, we recorded some great footage of him and he made some very nice interviews and we'll be sharing, I'm sure, an interview, uh, that interview and that video at some stage. And so, all we all we need to do is just ask ask the pros that come to us and say, listen, you know, you've just got you know, two hundred barrels in the last uh, three four hours. How was that? And they all absolutely love it. And the key thing for us is that it's not so much about the height of the wave; it's the quality of the wave and the length of the wave and the numbers of different sections that we can put in the wave. So, at the moment in our demo facility. It's because of the land that we're on, where we've got a river on one side and quite a steep hill on the other, we can only produce a right. We're not doing a right and a left, which we're doing in all of our commercial facilities. And it's a, it's a very short wave. So all of the videos that you see and people see online of WaveGuard, and wave, they realize that the wave is only about seven seconds or so. What we'll be doing in, in, in Bristol is a wave that's, oh, that's going to be 12 seconds. In Melbourne, it's 15 seconds. In Korea, it's 18 seconds. Because the more modules we add to our system, the longer the wave, in, uh, the wave is. And the more modules we have, the more sections we can play with. So you could have an easy takeoff and then a barrel and then finish with an aerial section. So that's the key thing. It's variety of waves and the length of the wave. The size, as long as people can fit in a barrel, they're, you know, we've found everybody to be very happy and they've had an excellent time with us. So it's, yeah, of course, bigger ways may come along, but I think you need to look at the whole economics of that and, and look at the energy requirements and the water requirements to, to, to reach those size of waves.
Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Because I'm a big guy, so I'm six foot four. So I, I don't know if I'm able to fit so, in the barrel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm waiting to see here in uh, in Bristol or in Melbourne or whatever. We shall see. What I want, uh, I want it as an easy takeoff, and then I can see the barrel in front of me and then enter it. At the moment, we have this slab, which is really really tough drop. Uh, you've seen on some of the videos, and it's a bit of a challenge. We don't have enough room in our small facility to put an easier takeoff and then into the into the barrel. But you can imagine lots of people ask us for that. And so we're hoping that's what we'll be able to deliver. Uh, well, Sean, it's been amazing chatting to you. I just got one more question. Mm. Um, you know, there's a lot of core surfers in the surf community who've probably been surfing since the 70s. And, and, and I think a lot of them are very protective and they don't want surfing to grow as much as they'd like. Um, and they want to try and protect the finite wave resources of the planet. What do you say to them? When, when they're sort of slating wave pools and saying, ah, oh, it's not really surfing? Um, well, on the issue of not really surfing, I think people really need to judge for themselves and, and make that call. To be honest, the waves that we make are as, you know, I don't feel any difference between these and ocean waves. It just feels like surfing in the ocean. Um, and at the end of the day, the ocean is for everyone. As long as we treat it respectfully and, and take care of it, then... You know, it shouldn't be a, a small number of people that have access to, you know, the thrill of being able to surf a wave. So if by bringing uh, wave pools or uh, wave gardens to people around the world that don't have direct access uh, to surfing, then we think that's a very good thing. Um, and in a recent cert, we've carried out some surveys as part of work that we do with some of our partners, you know, we're getting a people that are responding to those surveys, we're getting a 99% plus response to saying, would you like to try surfing in, our, in, a, in a wave garden cove? It's overwhelmingly um, positive. People are saying, yes, of course, we'd love to try it and enjoy it. And one final thing to say is um, wave garden is full of passionate surfers. So we have a team here now of almost 60 people and you know, probably 80% of them surf on a regular basis. We have some of the young guys that have still a lot of energy. They will surf in the morning before they arrive to work. And then if there's opportunity of a staff surf, uh, staff surf session at lunchtime, they'll all be mad to try and get into the, the cove. So these are guys that are fortunate enough to be able to surf, you know, pretty regularly two, three, four times a week in good waves here in, in northern Spain. But every opportunity they have to jump in the cove, they grab it because it is so much fun. You can try stuff. You get so many ways in a short period of time. It's just an absolute blast. So so, uh, sounds like the best job, best surfing job in the world. <laughs> it, 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 it's not bad at all. I'm, I'm certainly enjoying it. Uh, and uh, hopefully we'll continue to enjoy it for many, many years to come. Well, I think you do you do for your post uh, post lunch surf. So uh, thanks so much for <laughs> yeah. for chatting to us, Sean. It was really really very illuminating. And uh, thanks for all the stories. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, Nick. Thank you. Well, that was Wave Garden, and those guys are probably the market leaders in wave pools right now, having launched Surf Snowdonia inland in Texas, and just recently Bristol in the United Kingdom. They are launching Melbourne in australia shortly so um that's four pools up and at them and um yeah no one else is i mean okay american wave machines is catching up fast so um it's interesting to see how long that wave garden can hold on to their monopoly because there are a lot of new technologies out there but as of now they're all 
unproven and no investor is going to look at a project like this and say okay wow i'm going to sink in 25 to 30 million euros or dollars or, or pounds into a project that's been untested so they definitely have a massive advantage so we're all looking with bated breath to see when the next wave garden will roll out and um, the projects on the horizon as uh, as sean mentioned we're looking closely at seoul and korea and um, obviously australia and california it's yeah exciting times it really is Okay, well, uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, uh, we really, really do appreciate your support. And uh, to keep us going, because you know what? We might just get bored and stop doing this if you guys don't turn around and comment and, and uh, go and leave some reviews on iTunes for us, because we'd really appreciate that. So we do have an Instagram account. It's at WavepoolMag. And if you go there and go and comment about, um, generally we'll try and put one post up about this particular podcast so you can put all the comments in there we also have a facebook page which we're not too hot on the facebook at the moment but um we're thinking about doing a facebook group where we can get a discussion going so let us know what you want us to do if you're keen on hanging out on instagram or if you're keen on facebook or whatever you can always just send me an email or you could go and comment on either of those platforms my email is nick.wavepoolmag at gmail.com and we'd love to hear from you. Also, another thing, every Friday afternoon, Brian and I will be getting together on Instagram and doing a live, just chatting about the stories from the week because everything's going nuts right now. And it's just um, projects and plans are popping up all over the place and people are surfing these pools and getting, you know, really great reviews. So, yeah, come on, listen on, and we'll talk all about the latest stories that hit in the last week. So thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.